Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Nicole. Nicole is going to tell us a little bit about herself because um, she's saving my butt. Uh, I told you all about how uh, I had all these, everybody's rescheduling and I'm rescheduling and it's been just a a wild ride. And uh, Nicole and I have been friends on Facebook for years now. I think we met in an entrepreneur group back when I thought I could be an entrepreneur. You know, I actually... um, realized that's not for me. The entrepreneur life is not for me. I need a boss. Just give me a boss. So Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I was so excited to be on your podcast and share my story and just what I've gone through. And hopefully it resonates with some of your listeners. I'm sure it will, but I am a life coach. I'm a former educator. I have a background in education. I was a teacher for a few years after college and got into, like you did, the entrepreneurial world and started my own service-based business. I actually started a pet sitting and dog walking company back in 2010, which um, I say conveniently, I had to close down when COVID um, started because everyone was canceling and working from home. I was quite relieved by that because I had been way too caught up in that business, not focusing on what I really needed to focus on, which was my mental and emotional health. So a lot came out with that business. A lot came out for me or came up for me rather. And I had been doing some small business consulting and some coaching on the side. I had employees in that business. I had to, of course, let them go when it greatly slowed. And then I closed over the summer of 2020 due to COVID. But I say that business was my biggest teacher, and it is because I realized a lot about myself, about other people, about um, about business, of course. It, it taught me along the way, but it was my biggest teacher really about myself and what I really wanted out of life and really showed me a lot of things I needed to work on personally, which was a blessing. And so that business closed, and then I've been doing coaching, um, on not necessarily on business. People ask me this a lot. Well, do you coach in the small business world? And, and of course I work with small business owners, entrepreneurs, but my main focus in my coaching business right now, and has been for a while is overcoming people pleasing by setting boundaries. So I'm big on boundaries. And a lot of that is because of, of course, where I came from, my family of origin, marrying into a, a family system that I know we're going to, you know, talk about some of this in the interview today, but just again, those realizations really coming to light and now coaching as a certified life coach, as far as people pleasing recovery, some people call it codependency recovery. That's a little deeper meaning there, but implementing those boundaries in order to really thrive in your life and your business or your, you know, creative outlet, if you have one. Yeah, I can, I can relate, um, <laughs> to all Sound of familiar? 
sounds familiar. I, I mean, I know when you post about this stuff, I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, preach into the choir here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in your family so people can understand the context of like why you got to where you were and you had to work on these things. Well, let's go back to 1996. Nicole would have been 13 and in an eighth grade. And this is where not necessarily my anxiety that I have experienced started, but it is where it really became larger than life, larger than what I, I didn't know what was happening, right? But larger than anything I could have managed or understood at 13 years old. So anytime I tell this story or tell my story, I always start at that point because that's when it really became a I don't want to say a problem. I don't want to, you know, label this as a a problem I had, but it really became an experience I was having. And it, it definitely was something that I didn't know how to either control or how to manage because nobody around me. And when I say nobody, I'm talking parents. My, I, I grew up mostly around my mom's family. Um, I don't know if any of my teachers at the time knew that I was experiencing anxiety or saw the signs of a, um, you know, young teen experiencing anxiety, but I, I grew up in a strict Roman Catholic family, went to Catholic school my entire life until college. So I went to private Catholic school from kindergarten through senior year of high school. And I, it, they're smaller schools, very clicky. Um, and so I experienced a lot of a lot of the, um, you know, mean girl stuff and, mm. and clicks and all of that, which, which adds to the anxiety. I wouldn't say that was the catalyst for it. It was really growing up in that very strict patriarchal Roman Catholic environment that caused a lot of the anxiety for me personally. And some of it is probably genetics play into it, but also it is more uh, nature versus nurture environmental in my case. And I can think back to 1996, eighth grade, 13 years old, and having my first anxiety attack um, in church on Sunday. And I remember having experiences of it before that and and thinking I was just nervous. I just needed to calm down because that's what I was told. Mm -hmm. And having, having these experiences of anxiety, you know, not just in church, but then I started relating church, school, certain things to the anxiety that I was experiencing. So a lot of people can probably relate to that. If it happens, if you have a panic attack or you're having a lot of anxiety at a certain place, you kind of relate that place to it. Um, So yeah, I started relating it to that. My parents, oh, we're going to pray it away. Oh, it's the devil distracting you in church. Oh, Oh, it's this, it's that. Yeah. So they, they really didn't have a, a grasp on I'm have you, my daughter, you know, for coming from them, my daughter's having anxiety. We need to get her help. It was always like the church will help, or she just needs to learn how to, you know, it was always calm down, relax. When I didn't know how to expel that nervous energy, it was my nervous system saying, get out, get out, get out, fight or fight or flight kicked in. And then that was my main, um, you know, that anxiety being the coping mechanism to deal with that very patriarchal structure, always being watched, very strict upbringing. I, of course, just realized this, you know, I'm 39 years old now, but I was just realizing it more so the last couple of years, few years, 
But once I got into my late, late twenties, maybe even 30, I call thir- my thirties were my light bulb decade. I'll be 40 in June. Yeah. And I feel having, that. yeah, you feel that right. <laughs> having, yeah. having looked back because your twenties, you're still very young. Not that thirties or forties are old. I'm not saying that at all to you or any of your listeners, but when you're in your twenties, you're still, I mean, you're still, your brain is still developing till you're what? 24, 25 years old. Yeah, 24, so, I think 24. Right. So you're still developing your brain's still developing your ideas about how the world works are still developing. And for me, it was a lot of that enmeshment with the family. Like any, any time I would even want to buy a different shirt than what my mom wanted me to buy. It was like a big to do because I wasn't just going along with everything they wanted. And it was, it created a lot of that tension and stress in the home, which manifested itself in major anxiety disorder for me, which I never got help with growing up. Instead, I, you know, I was in my early, late, late, late teens, early twenties in college, busy with my boyfriend, now my husband and work and doing an internship for teaching. So I, I, I had my focus on other things, but I was still experiencing anxiety, not as bad. And then once I got into my thirties and really realized that a lot of, um, the patterns in my life that I had been a part of that I was recreating in my relationships were causing me a lot of stress and anxiety. I was able to say, okay, light bulb moment. Uh, like, I, I feel like I turned 30 and it's just like the light bulb started going off and I went, oh, this is a lot. This has a lot to do with how I grew up. And then I married into a family where I was oftentimes scapegoated, minimized, and really just discarded because of not because of who I am, not because of who I was, course, this took realizations too. Right. But because of, because of, of the way that, that, that family operates and their own dysfunction. So I had that going on and really not realizing a lot of this until I was into my thirties and then setting those boundaries. I didn't grow up with boundaries. I grew up with enmeshment. And when you grow up with enmeshment and everyone has to think and feel the same, everyone has to everyone. I mean, like our, like me and my siblings, I'm the oldest of three. Every, everyone, all three of us had to really go along with what our parents thought and believe. We weren't allowed our own thought process, our own thought system, especially with my mom wanting us to feel the same as her. So if she was feeling, Ooh, I'm feeling like this. And we were like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we don't feel like that. We're not going to get to that heightened state like you are. And I think my mom probably had some anxiety, which she didn't even realize was anxiety. Maybe that's why she didn't realize I had it, but I, you know, not that it's an excuse to not get your child mental health help or support, but I just think they were, they didn't realize what was going on because of things that they didn't realize within themselves. So Mm -hmm. I've forgiven that part of it. And, um, you know, that has helped me move forward, but, um, yeah, just, just knowing that, um, that I came from an enmeshed family, especially with the religion, religious aspect and the patriarchal aspect of, men lead. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition involved, especially with my mom's side of the family. So I'm seeing this stuff growing up and thinking this is how the world works. So that's the belief system, right? That becomes your internal belief system, your mindset. And I, I got into my thirties, especially late twenties, but into my thirties. And I'm going, um, this is a bunch of BS. (laughs) Like I, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with any of this, but then I had to work on shedding it and really realizing that's a lot of it came from how I grew up and then marrying into the family I married into and that I was really needing to shed the role of the scapegoat 
which is the person who is shifted, you know, projected upon the, the blame and shame from the family system is really projected upon that person. And you're the one to blame, even if it, like literally you had nothing to do with whatever structural or dysfunctional issue is going on within the family system. So I had to just say, I'm not that person. That's not me. You know, pick some, yeah. pick someone else. Hopefully don't pick someone else, but <laughs> pick someone else kind of deal. Right. Like, don't like, that's not me anymore. So I had to work on just allowing myself to shed those roles that I grew up with. But a lot of the anxiety for me, um, turned into a drinking problem. I used drinking to cope, uh, for a while, for years. I should have, you know, every, everyone who has quit alcohol or, or, or gotten sober has said at some point, I, sh- I realized I should have quit a decade ago, but I didn't, <laughs> you know, they quit when they yeah. quit. And, um, so I was using that. Of course I grew up around this. Uh, neither of my parents are alcoholics, but there was drinking. My, my dad is not a drinker. My mom, definitely. I noticed her drinking more when I was older, like not so much as a teenager or younger, but when yeah. I was, you know, in my twenties, I noticed her using wine to relax. Um, and then her family drinks, um, drinks to cope, you know, Oh, we're, we're depressed. We're going to get out the wine. We're happy celebrating. We're going to get out the, the alcohol. And some of them drink more than others. I'm not saying that, you know, anyone in my family, I'm not labeling anyone as an alcoholic, maybe some, you know, could, could stand to drink less or could really not drink, but that's, that's their decision, of course. But there, there wasn't any, um, you know, pe- people think of alcoholics as Frank Gallagher on shameless, you know, but right. there, there's different levels of it. There's different, um, there's different looks to it. And I was definitely, I was drinking every night for a long time to cope with all of the stuff that, you know, we're discussing here, just my upbringing, my in-laws, my, my, the blame that I put on myself, not being happy, being resentful and, and then not reaching my potential. I know that sounds kind of like, you know, one of those cliche clips, but like not reaching my, my dreams and my goals because of that inner critic voice or those inner critics voices that I grew up with. And then the, the one, the, the voices that I married into, I got married, I was 23, almost 24. So that's young. And I still had those influences, right? I still had those influences of my parents and my family of origin. And then now my in-laws and all, you know, the, the, the drama and dysfunction there. And it was just, um, it was a lot to take on. Like I look back, I'm, I'm 39. Like I said, I look back 16 plus years ago and I go, wow, that was a lot for a young, a young woman, a young person to take on emotionally. And of course my therapist and I talk about this, but it, it was a lot to take on and and, and as she puts it, that, that was a lot of emotional trauma you went through when I described mm-hmm. to her what I went through growing up and what I went through as I got married and earlier on in my marriage before I had those boundaries. Again, boundaries are, are key to allowing yourself to heal from a lot of this because you can't heal in the same environment, which made you sick. So you have to really remove yourself from a lot of the, um, the relationships, or at least take a time out. I'm not saying anyone has to set boundaries, just, Oh, cut off your whole family. And now you have boundaries down to, down to a science. That's just a part of boundaries. That's very extreme, which is necessary sometimes. Um, but I think when we have boundaries for ourselves, they are for us. They're not for others. And we can really open those gates when we want to close those gates when we want to, and say, this is what I'm allowing in. And this is what I'm not allowing in. And when you grow up like me in an enmeshed family, where you have to tell your parents everything and 
you're not allowed privacy. And uh, oh my gosh, you know, everything you say to them is then used against you later. So it, it's, and, or told to the rest of the family, because when your parents or especially my mom wants to enmesh with you, it's because they're enmeshed with their family, right? They want mm-hmm. everyone to think and feel the same. Nobody has secrets nobody, you know, nobody has their own personal relationships within the family. Everybody has to know everything. Um, you're not allowed your own path in life. That was a big part of it for me. Just, you know, making these decisions, even in my late thirties about furthering my education, where am I going with my business? Um, you know, where are my husband and I gonna, gonna live after we eventually saw, you know, the house we've lived in for 10 plus years that, you know, I've wanted to sell for a while. Again, it's those decisions that it's like, this isn't resonating with me anymore. Let's, let's make a decision about this and, and move forward. And you still have, you have those inner critics voices in your head. So I've had to really work on those emotional boundaries within myself and, you know, those, those mental boundaries, those emotional boundaries, more so than just not talking to someone and, and cutting someone off. That's again, that's a part of it. And I always say that is a, that can be a part of it if that's necessary, but it's really working on those boundaries for yourself and saying, okay, that's it, that inner critic voice. Okay. Let's, let's use the toolkit. What, what's the toolkit? Okay. That's not mine. That's not my voice. And really unmeshing with those voices helps you to set those boundaries and Again, like I say, just move and move forward and thrive in your life and thrive in your business when you start shedding all of this and letting it go. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Like, almost, I mean, not all of it, but most of it. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I come from a dysfunctional family uh, who, you know, uh, my mom like has scapegoated me my entire life. Um, and it Mm -hmm. took me a very long time to realize it. Um, she just, she literally told me a couple of years ago that I ruined her life by being born. And I'm like, wow, Wow. that's not the ultimate scapegoat right there. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't realize the first time that I cut her off, um, when I allowed her back into my life that. I, at the time, I didn't know anything about boundaries that I had set boundaries with her. And, and my spouse had said to me, like, write it out in a letter so that, cause if you tell her over the phone, she's going to be able to twist whatever you said into whatever she thinks it is. But if you clearly lay it out in a letter, she, I mean, she's still going to do it, but like, <laughs> it's very clear and of what right. I'm saying. And so I did. And and things were better for a little while. And then it got worse. And then it got worse. And then it got so bad that she told me she wished I was never born. And then I was like, you know, I'm done. Like you can't respect my boundaries. You have no respect for me. And, and I said, you know, until you get therapy and work through whatever is causing you to blame me for your life, uh, I can't have a relationship with you. And she's still to this day, like this has been like almost three years. And it's like, my daughter won't talk to me. I can't see my grandchildren. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know why she's punishing me for my mistakes. I've done the best I can. And I'm like, bitch, you don't even realize like, you're not even like <laughs> conscious. Right of what you're doing. And then, you know, I was telling my spouse, cause every time my grandmother calls me, she's got to bring up my mom always not even like I did this and your mom was there, you know, where I can understand like, Oh yeah, that's part of what you're telling me. I don't expect you to like completely like erase her, but it'll be like, last time she called me, she was like, 
Oh, and you're, you know, do you want an update about your mom? No, I don't. And I have a sister who can update me if I want one. And she was like, oh, but some things happen and you really need to know. I'm like, no, I actually do not need to know what is going on with her life. And these people don't realize the more they do it, the more I'm just like, nope, I want nothing to do with you and nothing to do with you because nobody's respecting my boundaries. And those boundaries are so freaking important. Right. Absolutely. And and what happens in that case is that the family member, in this case, it's your mom, you know, she could be saying, Hey, call Megan, tell her this or find out this, but they're all so involved with each other. They don't even see how dysfunctional it is. And you're the one setting boundaries. I always say this too: the person who sets the boundaries and sees what's going on from the outside they're the one that's called mean, cruel, because that's how the, those people, in this case, let's say your mom, would establish her own boundaries, right? Oh, mm-hmm. she's so mean. Oh, it's it, it's done out of this heartless place. And it's like, no, this is after years, as you're saying, you, you, you disconnected from her, reconnected, then disconnected again, because you just kept seeing that pattern with her. And you set those boundaries and then it's like, okay, well, I'm, I have to set these very firm, very strong boundaries now, because I'm protecting my energy. I'm focused on my life. You, you know, you keep trying to infiltrate this with the nonsense. And I just, that's the gate. The gate's closed on that because I I don't have any place in my life for it. And they're the ones not getting the help. We're the ones getting the help. That's the difference. And that's what I tell people that are like, but my mom this, or, but, but this person, they have this back and forth with the boundaries. It's really not boundaries. It's just, they're trying to get validation. They're trying to get that validation from like the parent in this case, not that you're doing this, but usually it's with, it's with a parent because we seek that validation as people pleasers. We were parent pleasers at some point, right? We were, we were brought up to be parent pleasers. And so we seek that validation. We seek that worthiness, like, Oh, our parent needs to validate us in these instances. And then we grow up and we go, Oh, we're so enmeshed. It's so dysfunctional. We set the boundaries and our parents don't understand boundaries because they never had any. So yeah, right? So they think boundaries are discipline with children and that's not boundaries. It's discipline. It's different. So yeah, you get those, you get those boundaries established yourself and the parent doesn't understand them. And that's really when I had to say, at least personally for me, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. They do on, you know, when I put this content out and stuff on social media, it's like, oh, wow, that makes sense because you're seeking the validation. Hey mom, Hey dad, or Hey, whoever it is in your family system. Like I grew up around a lot of my aunts and uncles influence as well from my mom's side, my mom's sibling. So it's like, you're constantly seeking that validation. Like, is this okay? Is my boundary? Okay. Until you realize they don't even know what boundaries are and you don't even need their validation. And then that's when they really, the the, the dynamic in the relationship changed, especially like with you and your mom, what you're saying, the dynamic just totally shifted because you were like, no, no more. And she doesn't know what to do about that, but she needs to work on herself if she wants to, if she decides to really work on herself and change her patterns like you did. So that's the difference, right? We're setting boundaries. We're in therapy. We're working on ourselves. We're reading all the books or whatever, listening to the YouTube videos and the podcasts and all that stuff and going, okay, I want to, I want to be a better person for, for my kids or for my spouse or just for myself. Right. And they're still just trying to like uh, disrespect the boundaries and disrespect us and come in like a cyclone every time. And and we just can't have that. And the dynamic shifts when we set boundaries, especially when we set boundaries with our parents 
or, um, you know, family member, that dynamic shifts the, you know, I don't, I don't like the word there's a power shift because of the power. It's not a power (laughs) struggle. Right. But there's that shift in you were the one, not you specifically, but people are the ones who set boundaries, children, adult children, let's say of, of emotionally immature parents like the book, but, um, it's, it's, it's that dynamic shift. It's that power shift. I don't like the word power, but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's that you are in a power struggle until you say, I'm not in this struggle anymore. I can't because nothing I say and do is ever going to change this relationship. So I just need to take a break. You can take a break or low contact or no contact. And, and it's, it's whatever is right for you. And I, you know, I always say that's part of the boundaries and boundaries are really about asking yourself, what am I, what will, will I, and won't I tolerate? And it's that authentic decision. And you can't make true authentic decisions until you get that inner critic voice out of your head. And you really say to yourself, I'm not going to seek this validation from my parents about where I'm going with my life anymore. And, and I had to get into my thirties to realize a lot of this, right? It's like, this isn't something that you just go, Oh yeah. Inner critic. That makes sense. Okay. It's gone. It takes work. It takes daily practice. And I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm at this point at this time of this interview. And really this was a big turning point for me personally. And again, maybe some of the listeners can relate. I have been six months sober from alcohol. I was, again, again, I said I was, you know, drinking every night way too long. I taken breaks before 10 days here, 30 days there. Um, never really had the support. My spouse is very supportive, but that's only one part of a support system. Right. right. And so Right. So I was in and out of therapy. My current therapist, I absolutely resonate with her, love her. She's awesome. And um, I had quit drinking, I would say a month and a half or two before I found her and got into therapy with her. Um, And just, just really, again, that's a boundary right there for for myself was saying, I'm, I'm can't drink and, and use this to mask my emotions, my, you know, my feelings, even my thoughts. And I had to, I had to say, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of this. This, this is the gate, the gate's closing on this. And, you know, if there's anything out there, anyone needs to eliminate, it's about eliminating and adding, what do you need to eliminate in your life? What can you add into your life? And especially as it goes, it goes with family stuff too. And seeing the drinking for me personally, I'm married into an Irish family, a lot of drinking and, um, not to label everyone who's Irish as a drinker. That's not what I'm saying, but it's part of that. Again, that, that heritage, that, um, you know, that lineage and there can be some genetic factors there, of course, but some of it's also environmental. It just, it, it can depend on the person and, um, just always being around it was, was just a way to cope. Oh, I'm just going to use this to cope with anxiety and coping with feelings and not being, um, not being emotionally mature, really not being able to express myself. I think anxiety is suppression. There's freedom in expression. So, you know, I, I, as, as an extroverted individual, people would think, oh, well, yeah, you express yourself all the time, but was I really not really? Um, so there's just different things that go on there that you pick up on. Of course, setting those boundaries is key. Setting those boundaries with with people um, and setting those boundaries with yourself, your emotional self really helps. And if there's something you need to eliminate, like drinking, if you're listening and you're going, yeah, I'm drinking too much. Yeah, I really need to drink drink less. Or if you're sober curious or you know wanting to get sober and saying, yeah, I need to put this down for a while or permanently, 
um, you know, that's a boundary that you, that you needed to set with yourself. Nobody can do that for you. And that also is that decision-making without seeking that validation, you're just doing it for yourself. And that's scary for a lot of people. Not like, Oh, it's a big fear, like a great white shark scary, but it's like, Ooh, that's uncomfortable, right? Setting those boundaries can be uncomfortable. It can cause some anxiety because you're, again, you're doing something new. You're doing something for yourself. Maybe you were always taught to people, please. So ooh, I'm doing this for myself and saying no, when I mean no, and not saying yes, when I want to say no. Uh, and that can be, that can be daunting at first. So I say, get, get therapy, get coaching with it, get support with it from a person who, you know, has strong boundaries because support is key. Yes. We have to do the inner work for ourselves. It doesn't mean we have to do it by ourselves. So yeah, a lot of that just, just came up for me in my thirties. Like, Oh, I need to quit drinking. And I quit for a little bit. And then I realized, well, why am I really doing this? And then more and more came up and through owning that business, which is my biggest teacher, it just, you know, a lot came up about the way I was raised, why I was using coping mechanism of drinking, and also really coping with anxiety and saying, okay, I'm using this to, this is not, I'm not using anxiety, but I'm experiencing anxiety and it's suppressing when I really need to get into expressing and getting that support. Therapy is so helpful. Um, So I just, I think that boundaries are great. Boundaries really give you an idea of your core values plus your future vision and do that while protecting your energy. And it's going to be key to really understanding and discovering yourself. It's a, it's a self-discovery tool that you can, that you can use that you can do in order to really establish boundaries that are authentic to you. That aren't just people saying, do this, do that, cut off your mom, you know, don't talk to your sister anymore or whatever the case may be. That can be part of it, but it's really establishing them for yourself and not other people. What will you, won't you tolerate and how are you going to protect your energy? Yeah, definitely. I can relate. I was in my thirties when I, I started on this journey as well. <laughs> and I was in my thirties when I got my bipolar diagnosis and my thirties has been a big awareness, uh, for me and in people listening and me personally, I'm curious how you h- handle your family, especially in the last couple years. Um, because I'm a, I'm going to make, I'm making some assumptions here about a patriarchal family and where they mm-hmm. lie on the spectrum of things. Yeah. and yeah. how you're handling that because like, Ooh, that's a, that's a lot to, to have to set boundaries with. Well, big part of that. And, and this is what a lot of people struggle with. And, and I have, I have sort of a two-sided answer. I'm not trying to be wishy-washy, but here's part of my answer. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be diplomatic because, you know, that's not where I'm going with this, but part of that answer is, and I understand people out there, you have kids, you have a spouse, maybe there's different ideas going on in your relationship. There's a lot of nuance to this, right? But for me personally, I had to tell myself, and my husband and I are on the same page with stuff and we have great boundaries in our relationship um, just because of how I am, how he is, how we work together. So that's been a blessing. It's not, we don't have a perfect marriage. You know, there's things I want. I've wanted to move out of our house. And then the last two years with the pandemic, and of course, earlier on being really staying at home, I was like, oh, I want to move so bad. So there was a part of it there that I really had to work on and we've had to work on and goals and all that. But just, you know, side note there, but having him as a spouse and having me as his spouse 
we've created, you know, really good boundaries with one another and respecting each other's boundaries through the pandemic, let's say. And I know not everybody has experienced that. There's, there's been a, some, I don't know if there's a higher divorce right now, but you hear about people who have split up and had stress in their marriage and, and we had stress in our marriage too, of course. But I think, um, having boundaries with, if, if you have a partner, having boundaries with your partner over the last couple of years and saying, this is where I stand with this. Maybe they're totally different. And in saying that, this is the second part of my, my answer. And I'll get back to some stuff in a second, but in saying that, I believe a lot of, um, what the issue is with a family system, a patriarchal conservative family, that's my mom's side. Um, and a lot of my dad's siblings, they're, I don't, I'm not around them as much just because of uh, geography, but, um, I, I love my dad's side of the family, but, um, geographically, I'm not around them as much as I'd like to be, but, um, my mom's side is very conservative. Um, and, and that patriarchal structure, the religious structure is there. Of course, my husband's family, uh, not so much, but they're, there was a little division with his family, especially with the, um, the lockdown, uh, call it lockdown, the, you know, stay at home and, you know, wear masks and all of that. There were a couple people on his side of the family that didn't, uh, didn't do that. Didn't do that. And, um, were more vaccine resistant at first. Um, and so we had to create those boundaries and say, this is what we're doing for us. My husband and I don't have children, but my husband and I, this is what we're doing for us. And this is what works for our, us as a family, my husband and I as a family, while also knowing that other people are ultimately going to make their own choices with this, as we know, and saying, okay, well, if this is how you feel about something, we're, we're all entitled, not that entitlement, but you know, we're all yeah. entitled. We all have our own feelings and, and our own thoughts about things because of either how we were raised our our political leanings, religious leanings, whatever it may be, right? We all have our own thoughts and feelings about things um, based on our, our, the worlds we live in and how we view the world uh, as a whole. And so for me, um, seeing how my family, my, especially my, again, my mom's side of the family who I interact with, not a lot, but you know, who I grew up more around, let's say. And um, I've, boundaries with my mom's side and my, you know, my side of the family and my husband's side, but just saying to myself, these are my, these are my gates. If you're going to interpret what's going on right now, a certain way that's on you, but I'm going to hold my boundary about the pandemic, about what's going on and about who I am around or not around for myself. And in this case, for my husband, and if we had kids, of course, for, for your children. Right. Right. And if people aren't going to do that, then we are definitely going to even further limit our time with you. And day after Christmas, uh, someone on my husband's side tested positive for COVID. We had both had it in November. Um, which of course you just go, Oh, I roll. We were over there. Everyone's vaccinated at this point, but you just go, I, I remember telling my husband, this is why we didn't go in December of 2020. I said, no, we had spikes here. I live in Florida, by the way, you know that, yeah. but your listeners <laughs> may not know. <laughs> yeah. So we had spikes in of it in, um, you know, December of 2020. I remember 
we had a major spike of COVID and I said, no, we're not going, we're staying home. And usually we would go to either my side of the family or his side. We kind of switch it up yeah. every hall, every holiday. Um, and I said, no, we're not going. Of course we go December, 2021 and someone tests positive the day after we got a, we got a text from, um, someone else on his side of the family saying so-and-so tested positive. And I went, this is why we didn't go last year. And we had both had it. We're both vaccinated. I hadn't had my third shot yet. Um, I, I, my husband had, um, had his third. So his booster vaccine, but it, you know, and I just said, okay, how am I going to hold boundaries with myself with this? Am I going to go, as someone who experiences anxiety, am I going to go off the rails with this and worry every day for the next three to five days after exposure? Or am I going to be logical? Am I going to say to myself, okay, this, this is you're, you're boosted. You ha- you had it in November. Like, you know, you're, that builds a little more immunity, of course. And, and just, just all those things, right. Logical mind. And my husband's a very logical person. Thank God. So, you know, I said, Oh, I'm a little worried right now. Like, Ooh, I got a little worked up. I did. I went, and then he went right down because I had to get, get back to that homeostasis, get back to baseline and go, okay, this is, this is how, this is what it is. That individual has it. We don't, we never got it again. Of course, it was just, we were briefly exposed briefly and nobody else got it, et cetera. So, but it is about those boundaries. It is about those boundaries and, and the people in your life or my life who are anti-vax, who are anti-mask, who are of that way of thinking, um, <laughs> you know, those That's are the such a nice who, way to put it <laughs> that way of thinking. We, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, those are the people uh, emotional, our own emotional boundaries are key. We are not going to convince other people how to think or how to feel, especially at this point in the game. I think it, I think wasting energy on that is, is not protecting your energy. It's, um, you know, one of my core values, I'm talking about core values a little bit and setting boundaries. One of my, my core values is, um, justice, wisdom, and integrity are my top three, which are part of stoicism apparently, which I just learned. I had no clue until I told someone this, that, uh, those are my top three. So I have to use my inner wisdom. What's my inner wisdom telling me here? Okay, that not everyone is going to think and feel the same as me. That's been very evident, especially over the last two years, especially over, I would say the last four to six years. Yeah. Um, it's very evident, right? Then you have that justice. But how, how, can we, how can we establish justice in something like this when people really don't want to, yeah, you know, use their own logic, let's say, okay, or, or believe in certain things that are evidence-based. Um, you know, that's the emotional boundary again. Okay, if they're going to behave or act that way, like with your mom, if she's going to act and behave a certain way, you're, you have to create that distance. And then again, that integrity, how am I going to stand in my integrity with this? Am I going to perpetuate a cycle of back and forth of arguing of low vibe energy, or am I going to say, this is what I believe in and I'm standing firm in it. And that's a boundary for yourself. They're not for other people. I think a lot of people think boundaries are telling people how to behave, how to act and saying, I'm requesting that you act this way. That's a request. And it's not about not sticking up for yourself. I'm not against that at all, but boundaries are about saying, 
I'm not going to entertain this. Not about, I want you to not, to not treat me like this, or I want you to believe this, or I want you to do this, right? That those are requests. That's trying to get someone to do something. We have to say, how am I going to handle this? Take it back to self, right? Get that inner wisdom going, get that discernment going and say, how am I going to handle this? And back to my, my story, my growing up, I was never taught these things. I was taught, just pray about it. God will provide God, God, God will do this. God will do that without having my intuition, which we're all born with as children. Children have very strong senses of intuition. And instead of letting my intuition really be the guide, I was scapegoated. I was stripped of my intuition and told, you have to believe in this structure, which was religion, patriarchal religion, strict Roman Catholic patriarchal religion, and your own intuition, your own inner wisdom doesn't really mean anything, if at all, because you just need to pray about it and God will tell you the answer instead of your own inner wisdom telling you the answer. So if you correlate that with boundaries, it's saying, this is mine. These are my gates. And I don't have to think and believe everything mom and dad think and believe. I don't have to think and believe everything my family thinks and believes about the pandemic or about politics or about the way the world works. And that's your internal boundary system at work right there is saying what, what works for me may not work for others. And not necessarily that it's okay, because I think there's a lot of moral clauses that go on with this stuff. Um, but, and I know that, gosh, that could be a whole other podcast, right? But <laughs> I, I think, I think, again, that's, that's kind of the second part of that answer is that if, if people are not going to morally, ethically um, go about these times, I, I can't interact and it's not that you're going to change their mind through doing or saying that or limiting time. It's that, you know, for yourself that you're doing what's best. And this isn't to sound too individualistic and say, oh, I'm just doing me, be, you know, be you. Yeah. Be yourself, cultivate your identity, cultivate your, your, uh, your creativity, your, you know, what means a lot to you, your core values, again, your future vision, your future vision isn't just vision boarding. I'm not against vision boarding. I'm not dogging vision boarding, but your future vision is really about, do I want my life to look like it does now without the boundaries that I have? Let's say you're listening and you're, you don't have boundaries. You're like, Oh, I need boundaries so bad. Oh my gosh. Do you want your life to look like this? And do you want to feel like this in five, 10, 15 years? Probably not. So having that future vision and saying, okay, I need to establish these boundaries so that I can get to those goals I have or live the life I want is going to be key. And we can't do that when we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're just so focused on, oh my gosh, this person isn't doing what I know is to be right. And what I know is going to help this situation. And we're so hyper-focused on that. Yeah, of course we, we know who those people are, but it's saying, okay, I just got to focus on myself, my people, my family, my kids, my, I don't know, career, whatever it is for you, school, and really have that emotional boundary. And that can be, that's, what's so difficult with all this, right? Cause you feel like, gosh, you, you know, how do, how do other people not see what I see? And again, that's some of that, maybe, especially with, with your family, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step back here and they're all kind of just blowing the rhetoric. <laughs> so that can be difficult. I'm not saying it's easy once you realize this, but it's definitely a part of setting those boundaries within the current environment we're all experiencing. 
Yeah. It's all about controlling the controllable. And that is why I purged 200 people off my social media. (laughs) Cause I'm like, good. You know what? When you cross a boundary, like for me, there's a, there's, I may disagree with you. Right. And I'll keep people on that. I disagree with, but there is a line. There's a line in my head. And when they cross it, I'm done. I'm like, you know, at first I'll try to engage and not even in a nasty way, but being like, you know, uh, how do I put this pushing back on the misinformation, um, that they're spreading. And when, you know, especially when it comes to racism and, you know, LGBTQ matters and things like that, but when they just dig deeper into their hate and their bigotry and their misinformation. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm done because you cannot have opinions about facts. (laughs) That's not how that works. Uh, Facts are facts. You also don't have the right as to like be hateful to other human beings because they're different from you. And, you know, everybody listening, and I know you as a Facebook friend, you know, this like that. I, I'm interested in social psychology and stigma and groups and group interactions. And, you know, um, I know logically that people um, in that realm see outsiders as a threat to who they are. And that's why they react that way. But I'm not going to sit around and watch you do these things. Like if you want to continue, cool, you can do it on your own, but I'm not seeing it in my newsfeed. And no, I'm not just going to unfollow you because I feel like that's me saying like, that's okay what you're saying. And I'm just going to keep you around. No, I'm done. Like, we don't need to be friends. We don't need to. I keep people with differing opinions, but when they cross that line, I'm like, bye. Like, that's my boundary. I'm done. Like, and I don't expect everybody else to be like me and do that, but that's my boundary. And, and you've already said multiple times, like boundaries are unique to the person, but we've got to decide what we're going to accept and what we're not going to accept and controlling the the controllable and the uncontrollable, what is what it is. There's nothing we can do about that. We can only control what we're doing, not other people. So um, Nicole, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I would say just know that as you establish these boundaries, as you realize, oh, I came from a boundaryless home an enmeshed home, dysfunctional, Maybe you were raised by parents who were dealing with their own stuff or they had some narcissistic traits or, you know, you just grew up in dysfunction of any kind. Maybe you married into it and you're establishing those boundaries. Just understand that letting go of that inner critic's voice, establishing those boundaries that are authentic to you and that are really true to your core values your future focused vision all done while protecting your energy is going to take time. Self-compassion is going to be key. Giving yourself grace is going to be key. And also just knowing that it is a process again, but also knowing that those emotional boundaries are going to be really, really important as well, especially in the current environment we're in that we're all experiencing and getting support whether it's coaching, whether it's therapy, whether it's both, whether it's one or the other at different points is going to be key as well, because you don't have to do this alone. And if you're experiencing a 
coping mechanism, maladaptive coping skill, like I did with drinking and with stuffing those feelings and, uh, you know, all the scary stuff that comes along with, oh my gosh, I'm giving this up. I'm eliminating this to add something else to your life. Get support with that too. And in any way that you can, and any way that feels comfortable for you. And just know that there is some anxiety that comes along with establishing these boundaries, but getting support with it is going to be very, very helpful on this journey. And I am just so happy that I got to be here today with you and with your listeners. And this has been wonderful. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I can, I can totally relate to like, it's not easy. Like I make it sound like easy that I just cut off my mom, but holy crap. Like she told me she wished I was never born. It took me almost a full year to be like, no, actually I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. Because right. like, you know, it is, it is very difficult, um, to, to decide. Um, I, I mean, it's been three years, so now it seems like easier than it was, but I mean, especially when it's family, it's very difficult. And especially when they were part of the, the part of the reason that you had that inner credit critic and you have to go, you know what, actually, no, <laughs> right. I'm 35 years old and I am not at fault here. <laughs> right. And, and it's, it just goes along with, you know, you were scapegoated and gaslit as a child, as a young, as an adolescent. I look back, you know, my teen years, those tween and teen years, and you carry that messaging about yourself. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you start scapegoating and gaslighting yourself into adulthood yep. until you realize where it came from. And you go, oh, I'm, I'm self-sabotaging. I'm using drinking to cope, et cetera. So we all have our own our own inner critic and what our, and, and what we do as far as, again, self-sabotaging or whatever, whatever it is um, you or your listeners use to, you know, to not reach your full potential and, and not, not establish those boundaries. And, and there's a lot that goes along with that. Like we're talking about seeking that validation from our parents, no matter how dysfunctional they were or are, and really just, you know, understanding that the messaging we heard is a messaging that we're processing now. And letting go of the validation seeking, letting go of the people pleasing, which was parent pleasing and setting those boundaries is really going to be helpful in, you know, m- making your life the, the best that it can be making your life, your, you know, your, I, I don't want to say authentic life, but just, just your best life that, that you can establish without those voices in your head and with those boundaries in place. Yes, absolutely. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.